And Lord, thank you so much. It's good to be home here. Good to be back with this family. Uh, Thank you for the love that's in this place and the heart, affection, and connections that you've brought here. We are glad to be here, Lord. And would you open up your word to us? I, I pray for help as I preach. Give me wisdom. Give me the heart you'd want me to have. And I pray that you would transform each of us when it comes to the work that you've called us to do. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand, as we always say. We would love to have each of you be able to see with your own eyes the words of Scripture. We're going to be looking at a number of different Scriptures this morning. And if you... um, are receiving one of the Bibles we're passing out. 2 Corinthians 9 is on page 968. So go ahead and turn there. So we've just finished going through 22 weeks of the Sermon on the Mount. I have loved that study. Thanks for your questions. It's been really life-changing, heart-changing, life-changing for me. And now before we tackle another major book or section of Scripture, um, Jerry and I feel like there, we wanted to take a couple weeks and today on Labor Day weekend, to talk about work, your work, and how God's grace can transform our work, that's today, and then starting next Sunday for a couple of weeks, dig deeper into our, our understanding of worship. What's our theology of worship? What, what does the Bible teach about worship? And to dig into John 4 and to explore in more depth what does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth. So today, how God's grace transforms our work couple of weeks on worshiping in spirit and in truth, and then we're going to dive into, I'm praying about, Jerry and I are both praying about Hebrews, head into Hebrews. It'd be very daunting, but wow. So anyway, that's where we're going. But today, let's talk about work. And when I talk about work, I'm talking about all different kinds of work. I'm talking about writing computer code. I'm talking about meeting with clients. I'm talking about peeling onions, changing diapers. I'm talking about teaching in a classroom. I'm talking about taking business trips. I'm talking about drafting marketing proposals and working on budgets and swinging a hammer and all the different kinds of work. So everyone here is involved. I'm talking about doing your homework and going to school, start a school this next week, right? A couple of you. So we all are involved in work, right? Even if you're retired, you're involved in work. We're all, we all have work that we're doing. But so here's the problem. Lots of believers have a close faith relationship with the Lord Jesus in things that they understand are like spiritual things, like reading the Bible and praying and time with brothers and sisters in a home group and doing ministry. So many believers feel very close to Jesus, trusting Jesus, when they're doing what they would call spiritual things. But when they head to work, that all stops. When they head to work for some reason, it's easy for us to believe, well, this is work. I'm on my own here, right? And I want to show you this morning from God's word that during those 50, 60, 70, 80 hours you spend at work, Jesus Christ is standing before you at every second that you're working with grace to transform your work. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, to see that. Here Paul's talking about the grace of giving, but what he says here, it's clear, applies to all of life. Look at what he says. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having 
all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, do you see how that covers every possible scenario, including the 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week you spend at work? See how that, how work is covered here? Let's read it again. Notice the words all and the words, the word every. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So God is always ready. In every part of your life, we're focusing here on your work life, God is always ready to cause his grace to abound to you at every moment of every day. School, work, home, you know, stay-at-home work. God has grace to transform your work. Now, how is it possible for the God of the universe to be ready to pour out his grace upon you and not his punishment? Because deep down inside, we all know we have sinned against God. You know that, deep down inside. That's truth. You know that. Your conscience has told you that. We can try to squelch it, but it's true. But God is a God of grace and mercy. He loves to do amazing things for completely undeserving people. And so he's taken care of our sin problem by sending Jesus Christ, his own son, fully God, fully man, to the earth 2,000 years ago. And when Jesus died on the cross... He was being punished for our sin. And so, because you're trusting Jesus, the moment that you trust Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord and as your heart-satisfying treasure, from that moment, boom, on through eternity, never punishment. Not a whiff of punishment, ever. Just God's grace, love, kindness towards you, starting the moment you put your trust in Jesus through the rest of your life here on earth, and forever, God is rejoicing over you to do you good with all his heart and all his soul. He has grace for you at every second of every day, no matter what's going on, especially in your workplace, which is what we're focusing on today. So what I want to share with you is six ways that God's grace in Jesus Christ can transform your work. You need your work transformed? Anybody like, like they're, are you just like completely content with how things are going at work? Okay? You're not, even though you're not raising your hands. I know it's true. So I want to show you six ways that God's grace in Jesus can transform your work. So first, God's grace can make our work meaningful. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Go ahead and turn there. That's page 984 in the Bibles that we passed out. Do you see your work as meaningful? Do you see your work as, as important? Do you see that it's, it's meaningful, it's important, and I really want to do it well? I'm, I'm sure some of you would say yes, and I'm sure some of you might say no. Colossians 3 is an amazing passage. Paul here is talking to slaves. Okay, there were slaves in the Greco-Roman culture. Some of the slaves in the Greco-Roman culture had heard the gospel and had come to faith. And many of these slaves would spend their days doing menial, seemingly meaningless tasks like feeding the pigs and cleaning out latrines. Okay, so Paul's talking to slaves and look at what he says to them. Slaves. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, 
not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, feeding the pigs, emptying latrines, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, just one little side note. This passage does not justify or argue for slavery. I can go into that. That's beyond this sermon. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says if if a slave is able to get freed, which there were ways that could happen in the Greco-Roman culture of slavery, Paul says go ahead and take, take advantage of that. So this doesn't justify slavery, but some believers in the Greco-Roman culture found they were slaves, and they heard the gospel, and they came to faith. And here Paul wants to talk to those believing slaves who find themselves in slavery in the Greco-Roman culture. And what he says to them is astonishing. He says, you're serving the Lord Christ. You are serving the Lord Christ. In other words, if you find that you are a slave then the work you are called to do as a slave, if you can get free, get free, but as long as you're a slave, the work that you are called to do as a slave is work that Jesus is calling you to do. Jesus is calling you to do that work. So as you feed the pigs, Jesus is the one calling you to feed the pigs. Right? He's talking to slaves here. As you're emptying emptying the latrine, Jesus is calling you to empty the latrine. So I wanted to pick the most menial possible examples which would seem completely meaningless, but but apply this to your work. Okay, whether you're a CEO or whether you're, um, you know, in the cash register part-time or whether you are middle management or a contract worker, whatever position you might be in, Jesus, as long as you're in that position, the work you are called to do in that position, Jesus is calling you to do that work. It's not ultimately the stockholders or your boss or whoever. It's ultimately Jesus who's calling you to do the work that you are called to do. It's Jesus who's called you file the dental records. And it's Jesus who smiles as you file the dental records efficiently and accurately and happily. Right? Are you hearing me? Okay, it's Jesus who's called you to change this diaper. I'm not hearing any amens here, but this is the truth, all right? And it's Jesus who's pleased when you change it with gratitude and thankfulness and a desire to glorify him and love your child. It's Jesus who's called you to lead the sales team. He's called you. He's looked at you and say, I'm calling you, you, in obedience to me, lead the sales team. And it's Jesus who is pleased and delighted as you lead the sales team humbly, strongly, wisely, with your heart of love for them, to do good for them, and to bring glory to Jesus Christ. So Jesus is calling you to do these things. And so the point is that God's grace can make our work more meaningful. How meaningfully do you see your work? Something you've got to get through? Something you grit your teeth? something you only do half-heartedly. Paul says to slaves, do your work, slaves, heartily. As for the Lord, 
not for men. So every second that you are at work preparing your lesson plan, working with clients on their finances, writing computer code, making dinner, every second you're spending in work, Jesus Christ stands before you with grace to transform your thinking and your heart so that you are doing it heartily because of how deeply meaningful it is to obey Jesus Christ. Isn't that transforming? Okay, that's the first one. Second one. God's grace can motivate us in our work. Let's say that you've been asked to put together a budget for your team, and you hate doing budgets. You'd rather do almost anything than, than budgets. You have no motivation to put together a budget. So what should you do? All right? Just grit your teeth, grumblingly do it? No. Understand, Jesus Christ is standing before you with the grace of God in and through him to motivate you in your work. According to Colossians 3, you shouldn't do anything without motivation, right? Do your work heartily. That's what he says. In fact, that's the verse I want to have us look at again. Look at it from the perspective of motivation now. Read this again. Colossians 3:22. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily. That's motivation, okay? Work heartily. What are some synonyms for doing something heartily? What are some other ways you would say it? Hello? Passionately, with all your heart? Energetically? You're motivated. You're pumped, right? Okay? Whatever you do, do your work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Why would slaves feed the pigs heartily? Why would slaves empty the latrines heartily? Why would you work on developing the budget heartily? Why? It's because you're doing those things ultimately for the Lord. And you know, just like Paul says, he is going to reward you for doing those things from faith. He's going to reward you with more of the reward of the inheritance. That is, he's going to reward you with more joy in the presence of Jesus Christ forever. That's the reward of the inheritance. For cleaning the latrines, for feeding the pigs, for working on the budget, for peeling the onions, for doing the grocery shopping, right? For running your classroom. All those different things, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. That's the motivation. Now here's some fine print, very important fine print. We can't earn the inheritance by our obedience. Get rid of any thought of that. You can't, so don't try, don't start. You can't. We've all sinned. And everything we do in this life between now and glory is still tainted with indwelling sin. No excuse for it. We fight against it, but it's the reality of it. Okay? And yet God in his mercy, through Jesus, paying for our sins, clothing us with his perfect righteousness, has said that as you obey by faith, I will reward you with even more of the joy of my presence forever. It's mercy, it's grace, it's real. It's motivating. It's motivating. So that's why we do our work heartily. So let's say you're facing more dishes to wash, big stack of dishes in your sink, okay? Let's say you've uh, got massive emails 
choking your inbox so full, you got to get through those, or you got to take another business trip down to LA, okay? What should you do? You're not motivated. Pray. Say, Jesus, I'm not motivated. I'm just not seeing it right now. Help me. Help me see the reward of the inheritance. More joy in you forever. Change my heart. Stir my heart. Open my eyes so I can be motivated by the reward of what it'll mean to be with you forever, even more. When you pray that way, that could turn your time at the kitchen sink washing dishes into holy ground. That could turn your time answering your emails into holy ground. That could turn your seat on Southwest heading down to L.A. into holy ground. Because your heart's set on the Lord. You're motivated by the Lord. You're seeking the Lord. Third, God's grace can help with our inadequacies at work. Anybody have any part of our job that you're feeling inadequate to do? Okay? Uh, We all struggle with that. And the beautiful news is that whenever you are aware of your inadequacies, Jesus Christ stands before you with grace to help you in those areas that you feel inadequate. To see this, look at Exodus chapter 4. It's an amazing passage. Exodus 4, way back to the left, page 47 in the Bibles we passed out. God has called Moses on a very high-level diplomatic geopolitical mission. Moses is to go to Pharaoh, who is one of who's a world ruler, okay, all over Egypt, massive empire. And God's called Moses to go to Pharaoh and ask Pharaoh, would you free all your slave labor to the people of Israel? Can you feel how foolish that would be? Okay, so here Moses is called on this diplomatic mission to ask Pharaoh, would you free all your slave labor to the people of Israel? Thank you. Okay? And Moses is keenly aware of his inadequacies for this. Look at what he says in verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. He's feeling his inadequacy here. And God doesn't disagree with him. He doesn't say, oh, you're not slow of speech and slow of tongue. Moses was slow of speech and slow of tongue. Okay? And look at what God says in verses 11 and 12. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? In other words, Moses, it's no accident that you are slow of speech and slow of tongue. I made you that way. And I'm calling you to go and do this. That's the next line. Now, therefore, go. And this is a precious promise next. Just, oh, underline this. Pray over this. Feed your soul on this. Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Isn't that a powerful promise? So Moses is feeling inadequate for his job. We can often feel inadequate in the jobs we're called to do. But what we need to do is to understand that Jesus Christ as we're feeling inadequate, he's standing before us with grace and he promises, I will be with you in your inadequacies. I will help you in and through your inadequacies. That's his promise. That's what he promises to us. Now, does that mean that we're always going to be spectacularly successful? No. Okay? 
You can just see all through the scriptures. Remember, in fact, remember what happened the first time Moses went to Pharaoh? Pharaoh basically kicked him out and penalized all of Israel for Moses' audaciousness. Things did end up, end up well. Okay? Not, not as good for Pharaoh, but they did for God's people. But the point is that God will always, here's how I take this promise to heart, God will always work, be with me and work through my inadequacies to bring about his perfect will for me. And you know about his perfect will? It's perfect. And so you can always rest when there's inadequacies. We all have inadequacies. There's parts of being a pastor that I feel very inadequate about. There's many mornings, right? Sunday mornings. I just don't feel adequate for preaching. And and you know, the Lord just says, I'll be with you and I'm going to work through your inadequacies to bring about my perfect will for you. So trust me, obey me, and be at peace. So don't stress over your inadequacies. Pray Exodus 4, 10, 11, and 12 if you're feeling inadequate for your work and then trust the Lord. He will work with, he'll work through your inadequacies to bring about his perfect will for you. Fourth, God's grace can give us wisdom in our work. Turn to James chapter 1. A lot of these scriptures are ones that are part of the foundation of Mercy Hill Church, right? James 1, verse 5 is one of those verses. That's page 1011 in the Bibles we passed out. Think of all the times when at work you don't know what to do. You face a problem. Sales are declining. You don't know what to do. Someone's not doing their job. You don't know what to do. You're trying to budget this construction project. You don't know what to do. You need to spend less money on food. You don't know what to do. Okay, just all the times when we have work to do and we don't know what to do. It's often, right? Truth be told, is it often? You're also quiet this morning. Anyway, so it's totally often, okay? At least it is for me, and I'm sure it is for you too. So what we need to understand is that whenever we face a problem and we don't know what to do, Jesus Christ stands before us with grace to give us all the wisdom we need. Every single time. James chapter 1, verse 5. You've seen this promise. You've heard it here before many times. If any of you lacks wisdom, there it is, lacking wisdom, don't know what to do, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Now we have to ask. We have to ask. We ask in Jesus' name. I'm trusting Jesus. I'm clothed in his righteousness. He's paid for my sins so I can come boldly to the throne of grace, just like Jerry and I were praying earlier this morning. And I can ask, give me wisdom. I need wisdom. I don't know what to do. Give me wisdom. And listen, does this verse promise that God will always give you all the wisdom you need? Absolutely. Absolutely. He will always give you all the wisdom that you need can come in various forms. He may give you wisdom as you ask other people at work for counsel. That may be the way he gives you wisdom, right? He may give you wisdom as you sit down and make a list of pros and cons and weigh the alternatives and think them all through logically. He might give you wisdom that way. He might give you wisdom through speaking supernaturally to you, prophetically, a dream, a vision, right? There's all kinds of ways he can give you wisdom. But this verse promises, God promises here, you will always have all the wisdom you need for every problem you face if you'll ask, 
If you ask in Jesus' name, he gives generously, not stingily, and without reproach. He never says, you're back again asking for wisdom. He says, welcome. Okay, so that's how he's always standing before us with his grace. I mean, think about all the times you've not known what to do at work and you haven't asked God to give you wisdom. Think of all the times you've done that. Don't ever do that again. Why would you do that? Look at this promise. Look at this promise. Ask him and he will give you the wisdom you need. Doesn't that help you? Some of you right now are facing, you're facing situations at work and you don't know what to do. And it's, a, it's been a burden on you this weekend. Have you prayed? Have you asked him for wisdom? Okay. Fifth, God's grace can resolve problems at our work. Turn to Psalm 50. Problems. Problems. Work has problems, doesn't it? Maybe you're just about to lose your biggest account. Problem. Maybe this program that you've written keeps crashing. You can't figure out why. It's a problem. Maybe you need to find more business. Problem. Maybe you can't, you can't control your classroom very well. Problem, problem, problem. What should we do when problems arise? Look at Psalm chapter 50, verse 15. You've heard this verse here before as well. One of my favorite promises. Psalm 50, 15. God says, And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you, in response, then shall glorify me. This is an amazing promise, isn't it? Every day of trouble, okay, which means every problem you face, day of trouble, that means there's some problem. Work, we're we're focusing on work here, but every problem. When you're in a day of trouble, God calls you to call upon me. You got trouble? Call upon me. Call upon me in the day of trouble. Why? I will rescue you. If you will call upon the Lord, will you ever face trouble that you won't be rescued from? Never. 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 Ever. So look at your future. There will be problems. Jesus promised in the world you will have tribulation. Every problem out there, if you call upon the Lord, you'll be delivered from it. Now, deliverance can take different forms, right? Sometimes deliverance means that God changes things circumstantially. Your biggest account decides to stay with you. Yes! All right? Or you figure out how to do the budget or how to get more sales or how to control your classroom, whatever it might be. So, so sometimes, often, God's deliverance changes the circumstances that you're in. We like those. We're growing in liking the fact that sometimes God's deliverance takes a different shape where it's not so much changing the, the circumstances, but that God will always do in that day of trouble what will bring you closest to him always he will do what brings you closest to him and isn't that true deliverance think about paul's thorn in the flesh he called upon the lord he was in a day of trouble he called upon the lord god delivered him by having the thorn in the flesh continue and by pouring out such of so much of christ's nearness that paul said 
from now on, I'm boasting in this weakness. Because when I'm weak, I'm strong and feeling and experiencing Christ's power and nearness and presence. He was delivered without having the thorn in the flesh taken away. But the point is, every time you're facing a problem at work, Jesus Christ stands before you ready to deliver you. So ask him. Last one, sixth. God's grace can satisfy us in himself as we work. Look at John 6, verse 35, page 892. This is another one of our favorite verses here. I just pulled out some of my top ten, okay? (laughs) Crucial truth. And it's easy to feel unsatisfied at work. Many of you feel deeply unsatisfied. Maybe it's because you're not recognized at the workplace. Uh, Maybe it's because you are being treated unfairly um, at work. Maybe it's because you just don't like the work. You just don't like it. You know, I've got to you know make money, but I just don't like this work. So if work can involve not being recognized, not being treated fairly, if it can involve work that you don't like, then does that mean, listen to this, does that mean that for 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week you need to be unsatisfied? Is that what that means? No. John 6.35 Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So here Jesus is talking about heart hungers and heart thirsts, times when our hearts are not satisfied, not at rest, not peaceful, empty. Heart hungers, heart thirsts, and he promises, he promises, if we will come to him, if we will believe in him, he will bring us so much of his presence He will pour so much of his presence into our lives through the truth of who he is. He will so pour out his presence upon us that our hearts are completely satisfied. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter being treated unfairly, no matter being passed over, no matter not liking the work, your heart will be satisfied in him. Now, this does not mean, this verse does not mean that when you first become a Christian, you come to Jesus and you believe in him, and from then on you're kind of in this steady state of satisfaction the rest of your life. It's not what this verse means. This verse means that when, I mean, we do that when we first come to Christ, but then dissatisfaction, we, you know, there's ups and downs, right? The point is, every time your heart is feeling dissatisfied, you come, you turn back. You turn back and you set your heart upon Jesus. You come to him, you believe in him, and as you pray over who he is, the truth of who he is, he will bring his Holy Spirit upon you and he will satisfy your heart hungers and your thirsts and you'll be overflowing with living water to change the metaphor. That's what he's talking about here. So what this means is, you can be completely satisfied in any job. Right? Doesn't mean you shouldn't look for another job at all. But while you're in this job, you can be completely satisfied. Does that just... Do you, do you believe that? Is that really true? Don't just like, yeah, you're, you're the pastor, I'm to agree, okay, right, right, what's for lunch? No, no, no. Get this. You can be completely satisfied in any job. God may call you to get another job. Pray about that, send out your resumes, pursue that, but while you're there at that job, you can be completely satisfied. How? Start each day setting aside a chunk of time, 
much as you can, whatever, five minutes, 50 minutes, whatever. Do nothing else but open up your Bible, kneel down by your bed, sit at your desk, and pray over the truth of who Jesus Christ is. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Pray over the truth of the Scriptures until the Holy Spirit starts to satisfy your heart and fill your heart with who God is. And then you head into the day satisfied. And then throughout the day, when you take breaks, don't take time away from your work, okay? Be faithful to your employer. But when you take breaks, just get a little snack. Maybe a verse you've memorized, maybe something on a 305 card, a verse you've written down, or maybe open up the scriptures. And again, just get a snack. Just feed on the bread of life a little bit more to, to get your heart satisfaction back. When you do that, you come to him, you believe in him, he will experientially, feelingly, really, in a heart-changing way, satisfy you with himself. With himself. So as you're at work, Jesus Christ is always standing before you with heart-satisfying bread. He's the bread of life. Okay, so those are six ways. Now, maybe time for one easy question, okay? But, no, seriously, any, any questions, it's like, did I, was I clear? Did I overstate anything? Am I in sync with these scriptures? Am I faithfully interpreting these scriptures here? What questions does this raise in your mind? Or, like, how do you live this out? What are some questions? That is not a long question, a short question, or an easy question. But that's okay. I love you. Um, yeah, the question of how, how does content, heart satisfaction in Christ... Uh, way off against vain ambition. Because there's a godly ambition to do well at your work, right? There's a godly, holy ambition to bring glory to Christ by using your abilities to the maximum that you can. And uh, let me just give a quick answer, maybe somebody else can chime in too. But for me... And I still deal with that right now. I mean, as a pastor, I can want to have this church bring me fame. Okay? Now, I want, I want us to be healthy and strong and see people lead, lead to the, uh, come to faith. I can want that for Christ-glorifying reasons or for self-exalting reasons. So I've got the same struggle here as a pastor as I did back in real estate. Same thing. And I would just say you've got to weigh your heart and look at why do you want this? Uh, why do you want to do well as an engineer, okay, at Cisco? Why do you want that? And it, it, for me, I find it's a constant battle. It's not something you get dialed in. I got that done. Now move on to something else. For me, it's a constant heart battle of setting my heart back on the Lord for your glory, not for my vain ambition. Help me. Um, boy, there's a whole lot more that could be said about that. Somebody else help me out here. Just a way you've, because we all deal with this, don't we, men, women? Okay, how do you deal with that? How do you tell when your ambition is fueled by self-aggrandizement and not glory to Christ? Okay, so are you are you benefiting others? That's a good uh, factor to bring into the equation. Like Scott had mentioned earlier during spiritual gifts time. So so bring that before the Lord and pray about it, okay? It's something I've been praying about lately, and God's been helping me. I, I said, Lord, I want to see a bunch of people come to faith in, in my neighborhood. And and even if nobody else in the world knows that that happens, to know that you know, that's all I need. 
And that's been a helpful... Does that make any sense to anybody? That's been a helpful thing for me to pray because it's just kind of severed the issue of people applauding me or something. And it's nurtured my sense of my pleasure in bringing the Lord pleasure. Yes. Oh, Psalm 90, 14? 17. Jot that down. That is really helpful. Good, thank you. Chris is an engineer, very, very effective in his workplace. Okay, let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. I'm praying that today will mark a turning point in many of us for our work, that we really haven't let the Lord's grace transform us in our workplace. And so let me pray this. Father, I ask that starting now, Lord, that work would be different for every one of us here because of the grace that you have given to us in Christ Jesus through the cross. The Lord, we'd be seeing our, our, our meaning of the work in, in obeying you and that our motivation would come from the reward that you promise. We would trust you when we need wisdom. We would trust you to help us with problems. We would seek our heart satisfaction in you. God, work in these ways, I pray, so that as we are shining with satisfaction and peace and, and earnest, enthusiastic work, people would see you, Lord Jesus, in our work, that it would open up doors of conversation and that lost people would come to faith and be saved. We pray that you would do that, Lord. Transform each of us this week in our work, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.